Hey there, and welcome to Industry Town and part two of my interview with John Rosenfeld. I hope you enjoyed part one. You don't have to listen to that to get into part two, although I recommend it. Uh, part two is really fun. I think I like it even more because the uh, tequila is hitting and, you know, our guards are down. We already been talking for an hour. We started with the question I was most nervous to ask John, which was, does he miss acting? Uh, that led to a really interesting conversation on the types of parts we both really want to play. And then we get into a mailbag part of the show. Uh, we got questions from you guys, the listeners, and we have some really fun discussion coming up. Um, questions on how to prep for auditions, break down sides, uh, get through artist funks, how to get an agent. And uh, at the end, we talk about what is what John always calls the look, which is something that he's noticed when people are really ready to start booking a whole bunch more work. So, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy. I hope your holidays have been fantastic. Happy early new year. And uh, here's John. Lock it up, very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. I'm gonna ask you a question. The only question on my list that I'm almost, I'm not really nervous about any of them, but if I'm nervous about any of them, this is it. Ooh, do you miss acting? Yes. Tell me more about that. How do you reflect on your acting career and is, is there, do you imagine a, are you happy, are you, not happy, I know you're happy, are you fully satisfied with your life as an acting teacher or do you feel like there needs to be another act of your acting? I don't think, that, there doesn't need to, I mean, I get to act a lot when I'm coaching, you mm-hmm. know, I get to be present with you, I get to break stuff down. You do act with us too, yeah. and it's better when you do. I mean, the scenes reveal themselves more when it's two people really fulfilling both sides of the bargain. Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like every day I get to like, you know, I get to play roles. Uh, occasionally I'll watch something and, you know, like when I watch something like, you know, there's so many good shows right now. When I watch something like Succession yep. and I watch Tom, what's his name? He's so good. Oh, who plays Tom Momscams? Uh, yeah. I'm blanking on his name at the moment, but I, mean, I when blame you watch, the tequila. Um, and it's so interesting, isn't it, that we're always mentioning so many TV shows these days? Mm-hmm. But when I watch, hey, Marriage Story, and when I watch Fleabag, you know... Um, so what I would you, give to be Andrew Scott playing that role Holy I mean it fuck. makes you want to get in there and play with them yeah you know and going through the process but um, I do look I, I think acting to me is so much about you know finding the truth finding the authenticity and and I like that I have a job where I get to be authentic but yeah there are times where I mean I, I have thought to myself you know in like seven years you know, I don't know why I keep always had seven. I've thought over at fifty-five. I'm telling my age. You know, I I I, I have this idea of calling my 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 people and saying, "Put me back in the ring. Put me back in the game. Put me Coach. back in the game. I willing to go do it. <laughs> my son will be older, and and I'll go. But um, you know, I remember I met with my agents. Uh, I. A, a number of years ago and there and I had turned down so many auditions and I'm like what will you go out on and I basically eliminated 95% of it I was like oh, this will tell you something I go well listen 
if there's a part in a movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman, <laughs> I mean, I'll do that. But like, I definitely don't want to do like, like I'm not going away for three months to do Transformers. Yeah. And I was just watching his face register what I was saying. I've heard you tell people in Tool Shop that that's exactly what you can't say to an agent. You can't be like, well, I don't do these sitcoms. Oh, yeah. It, it, but I think I secretly, <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I knew I was saying, I don't want to go out right now. I'm built like this is, I, this is where I'm at right now. And this is what's really exciting to me. But at the same time, you know, there's right now I'm also at a place where there's other, I like the fact that I can still get excited. Yeah. You know, but I will admit, like the idea of doing a, you know, a guest star that I've done before, that's not like the thing that's, I, I, like, I love being here with you. Yeah. And, 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 uh, uh, that's exciting for me. But so, no, I, but do I miss acting? Yeah. You know what? I would love to be on set with you doing a scene. If it was something super fulfilling. That sounds fulfilling. I would like like you and I going and doing. We should do that. We should go do it. Do a, a, a scene from Succession. Shoot something for a couple a, a movie like that's great. I mean, and, and sometimes Next I do get short envious when I watch. Um, you know, you guys make your short films for the festival, and I was like, now that looks like a lot of fun. I I have been kind of secretly wondering like when's the day that there's going to be a movie in there that john's in i i've been wondering that too i i there will be and it, not one of the like cute you no. know about the teacher no no no, no i don't I want mean, the cameo like, i want to no, no. dig in like a real a real story well maybe you and i should talk about that a little uh, bit more well i was thinking you know what uh, wasn't it was it uda hagen wait what Someone, one of the big, one of the biggies, one of the one of the Mount Rushmore that got back on 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 stage, you know, after teaching. I, for, Hagen I think it was Uta Hagen, and I remember thinking, and I had just started teaching when she did, and I was like, "Wow, what's that? Like, Uta Hagen, <laughs> what happens?" Uh, but no, I think it would be a ball. I almost. It didn't happen this year, but almost every holiday class, they I have some client is like, well, so what are you going to do? And my first thought that it feels very honest is like, this is not my venue to to express. Like my my job is to be here for you and to be a container for that. But there is something interesting underneath that of that like people people do wonder what stories you want to tell. And I think they wonder that about me. I think they wonder that about you. And it, it, I think that's natural to the role, but uh, the longer that I've done it, the question gets more and more interesting to me a little bit of like, well, what is that story that pulls you out a little bit? Wait, say that again. The story that pulls you the out, pulls, that pulls you out of the comfort zone or off the couch. What is that story? And I don't know that there's an answer to that, but that it, that question gets interesting to me more and more by the year. I agree. Well, so it's something to uh, that's something to think on. You were mentioning you you being in marriage story. Is there well before I go on? But is there any other? Is there any other part other than marriage story where you're like, okay, God, uh, I desperately want to play Kendall in Succession. Yeah, I think I spent so many years thinking that I was Roman and being wrong about that, and like wanting to make that shoe fit somehow, right? And realizing. That was never my fucking part. That was like, which is so weird saying this about Roman in succession because he's such a terrible human being. But I think that's how I wanted people to see me for a long time of like, oh, he's so cool and doesn't give a shit about anything. And, and it's like, there's something, I, I don't, there's something about that that was attractive to me when I was younger and wanting people to see me that way. And 
not that Kendall's great either, but I feel like that story feels a lot truer to me of someone who desperately wants to achieve someone who is working at a high level, but still feels like maybe they won't quite hit the high level that they need to someone who uh, believes in what they're doing yet at the same time feels like they're wearing their dad's suit jacket a little bit. There's so much wrapped up in that character that I find very compelling. Um, the flip side of that coin is, uh, you know, the, okay, that's an honest answer. I desperately want to play that part. But the one that actually really made me lean forward this year was Andrew Scott and Fleabag. Um, that part, I don't have the accent to do it, but I was like, that guy, that's the romantic lead I've always wanted to play. That's the guy who his virtue is his edge. The, his desire to do good, his desire to connect, to help people, to find a greater truth in the world, and that actually makes him dangerous to this woman. That, that, I want to do that. I desperately want to do that. I would, I would probably give my right arm to have done that job. That all tracks. <laughs> that all tracks. I know I would really like to do... If I, I would like to do... Uh, marriage a marriage story divorce not marriage story. story I know just a story that deals with navigating divorce or problems in relationships and kids something that really I've gets into the complexity a, of I've done a lot of research <laughs> <laughs> no just having come from the family i did i think that would just be fun to delve into some interesting colors of that would you want to play someone similar to your father or is it something a little more outside or the of the opposite or the sweetest guy in the world anything in that that arena to me it, it interests me interesting you okay. know i think um you know i've talked with you about how you know i love noah Bombach and and squid and the whale is to me that just, movie is the fillet of the neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> that is a deep cut for any Bombach heads out there yeah um uh and don't you think it's interesting though that Noah Bombach is uh you know he I don't know how much he's changed in his aesthetic but it is interesting how the industry has come around to honor that type of I do think his aesthetic has changed a little bit. I find marriage stories so much sweeter and more it's empathetic sweet. Oh, that's to everyone. True, and maybe stylistically, yeah. There's some. He, it seems like he has more love for all of his characters. Where I yeah. felt like he had honesty of his characters and maybe respect, but a lot of anger it was towards a, a lot darker of them. worldview for sure. Although who knows what's next? Um, so I want to transition now Please. to a mailbag. Um, these are questions that got crowdsourced from Facebook that got crowdsourced from my own classes, but they are questions for you. Um, I mean, maybe for us, but I'm going to kick I'm, them to you and see what the hell happens. Do more? I do. Let's first, we're going to pour just a little more tequila across a table right over the expensive sound equipment, which yes. I thought was a choice on my behalf that I made and it worked well. Um, so this first one comes from Kim. Hi, Kim. Hi, Kim. Do you, what's your advice for your first network audition? If you've never done it before, it could be a co-star or a guest star. What would you tell somebody? Calm down. Don't freak out. Um, uh, 
It doesn't mean anything. It's just, I mean, of course it means something. It's, a, it's an audition, which is great. Uh, I think that sometimes people get into trouble where they treat a network audition as if it's more important than the student film audition, and then they change things, and that's really dangerous. Yeah. That's what I did, and that's where I fucked myself many times. Um, uh, if you can, first thing you should do is breathe, relax. Uh, watch the show if you can. You know, know who the writers are, all that stuff. Um, and then just make sure that uh, you have someone to run it with who knows it, who you trust. I truly believe that um, the people who are doing well uh, have a really good kind of, uh, their board of governors. You know, people they, they can truly rely on to go to immediately and uh, uh, to be ready for whatever event. You know, it's like all of a sudden, if you have to do something, you have your hairstylist, you have your doctor, you have your therapist. Yeah, your make team. Make sure you have your acting. Make sure you have your team, your acting coach, whoever it is. Okay, find those people. I think my the one what thing I really I really want to underline that you said is watch the fucking show. Yeah, uh, I actually think that's one of the biggest differences between people who work and people who don't are people who actually recognize that watching television or film. Is a fun. They actually enjoy it, but they also take it seriously that they know the marketplace that they want to work in. And some people, I, I think it's, I don't think it's rebellion. I think it's actually naivete that it doesn't matter. But the number of people I know who don't watch any television or film and think no. that they want a job in it, or they only watch what they like, um, and they don't watch it for research. I think that's a huge piece. I screwed up on a acting coaching that I did not too long ago where um, someone came in with something from a Mark Cherry show. Mm. And uh, I didn't, I hadn't read the script yet. So I asked them about the script. They gave, they gave me a brief synopsis and I was like, so I, and they had brought me some really fun choices that were working. Yeah. Uh, and I just helped guide it and basically we guided it to something that was a little bit more like Desperate Housewives sure uh, I mean that's what he brought he brought in basically Desperate Housewives I just yes ended it made, it made it more specific but then the note they gave him in the room he's a wonderful actor took the note he's great yeah but I did ha I hit my head I was like of course I, I wish I would have had that thought of course Mark Cherry's not trying to do Desperate Housewives again nope no, he's doing a new, like a dark, he's doing it this, this fun thing that's a little darker and all that. And when they told the choice, I was like, that's so good. That makes so much sense. Textually, it's supported by both choices, but. This is the direction to go. This is the direction they're going. Yeah, so that leads to a couple of things. And that's it. I'd say be ready to play. Be oh. ready to go in there and just take any note. And sometimes I think actors, uh, you know, sometimes when I, uh, when I had a story like telling, as I was walking to the audition, I would suddenly, I would try to think of notes I might get mm -hmm. that were completely opposite. And I would just start to kind of like hear the, I would kind of do that story. Sure. Just so I'm like, I'm not glued to anything. I'm just ready to go. I like that. Uh, two pieces to add onto that. I always try to find, usually it's on deadline, but a press release about the show because it will Ooh. generally tell you whether 
that whether Mark Cherry is trying to redo Desperate Housewives or whether he's going in a different direction because mm-hmm. the language in there will be either Mark Cherry returns to the suburban drama of, or it'll be the opposite. Mark Cherry turns dark on the da 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 da. And so, so that tonally will give me something. But the biggest one I have for people, Listen to Brian, <laughs> the biggest one I have is don't try to show them how fucking good you are. Just do what the yeah. part needs. And that's when people's first big audition. And by big, I just mean it's for network is this question. Did you ever notice that? Did you ever notice that you worked a little too hard? Oh God, yes. For the network? I worked too hard for all of it though. Let's just, that was always my issue is I was like, tell me I'm good. Do you see that I could win an Oscar? And it was just, it was, I would try to show them I was good and I would try to show them the entire movie in one scene, which was a version of trying to show how good you are. When which, I would audition which for ever, like, you know, when I moved to New York, you know, when I auditioned for NYU grad school films mm-hmm. or undergrad films, I went in like, you know, this is just, hey, it's practice. And I'd go in with such freedom and fun. And then I would go in for Bernie Telsey's mm-hmm. office and I would just strangle the life out of it. <laughs> and I know that if I would just keep that same sense of play and freedom that I was doing in the other rooms, I... You'd probably be just fine. Yeah, probably would have been just fine. Okay. Um, Next one. This is from David. Hi, David. What is... This was a little general to me. Okay. So, I think we can... We can nix it. The question was, what's your best way... What is the best way to break down sides? Oh, God. But, so to that, I mean... So, what is is a way to break down sides? Because I don't... David, I don't believe in the best way. I don't think that totally exists. But I do think that there can be a method to the madness or, or or a basic framework. That's a remarkably challenging question. So, you can answer this in a couple ways. But I want help from you here. One thing I'd say is... Look, one thing is taste and aesthetic... And, and if you're not watching anything, you're not going to have that And taste if you're not watching anything, yeah. you're not going to have So obviously, you know the show. But obviously, it's helpful to know know the genre. But I will say that if the, if the writing is really good and your taste is really good, yeah. then your taste will probably lead you to what the writer's intention was. That is just, but that's assuming that your impulses and your aesthetic is completely in tune and alignment with what the writer wrote. Yeah. The likelihood of not needing any problem solving tools is really low. You know what I mean? Yes. For every actor, you're going to run into your own sensibility, your own, like maybe your taste not being in agreement. Like, for example, if you're doing a multicam mm-hmm. and you hate multicam, then you are probably going to be fighting. What your brain knows to be true. This is the only industry where I feel like people are allowed to like dislike half of the jobs they're going to have and think that that matters. Right. Like no plumber is allowed to be like, oh, I hate toilets. I love sinks. Big on sinks. Hate. No, no toilets for me. We just don't get to. Why do we get to do that? It's a it's a point of view I don't understand. Do you encounter that in classes a lot? Where an actor says, I just don't like this. Yes. Yes, a lot. (laughs) And it and I I. I feel really terrible in that moment because I, while there are jobs that are available for them to book, I feel like they've just announced that their career has a lower ceiling than they want it to have and that they don't realize it. I agree. Um, it gets me. In terms of my thoughts on audition process or a best way to break down sides, I think I have a couple of thoughts. One is to research the show before you get into it so you have some idea of who the writer is and, yes, all and that. whatnot because that, that'll affect the way you break it down. But really, I don't think that there's a best way but I do think what you do with 
that knowledge matters a lot because I think a, I've learned, I think that a lot of actors think that scene analysis is how you prepare an audition oh, or God. that if you use it, that that should be enough. And yeah. I, well, so I broke down a want and I broke, so here's my analogy. Rather than breaking down a scene to say, it is this, break it down into a buffet. <laughs> well, I could want this, I could want that, I could want something else. The obstacles might be this, the obstacles might be that, the obstacle might be something else. Where the scene kind of turns and the arc of it, I think could be here, could be there. Have ideas and don't be glued to any one of them. And then when you actually get to the real part of the work, which is actually getting it up on its feet, there's not one scene you're trying to hit that is the one breakdown of the scene you found. Because I think people think that scene analysis has an answer and that answer is to be acted and that that is the rules by which the scene will do well. And that's just not fucking true. And if it were true, Haley Joel Osment could not have done The Sixth Sense. And I would not have been good at playing Luke Skywalker when I was five years old. The fact is, all of that scene analysis is just leaning, leading you towards something to drop into to then let impulse and truth and presence take over so i think it's maybe like don't break it down one way and just having a relationship to everything that you're saying and knowing what your relationship is to everyone that you're with in the scene you know it's just i I love everything you're saying that's part of the i'm just adding to your buffet please add I, i mean have an opinion on every damn thing in the scene that can never hurt i had a professor in college that was just like love it or hate it Just love it or hate it. If you can't come up with an opinion, I want you to fucking hate it or I want you to love it. And that might not be everything, but it's a piece of it. It's definitely some of it. We are having a special entrance from Gabby Rosenfeld. Hello. Gabby, do you want to get close to that mic and offer anything to anyone who's listening right now? (laughs) Oh my gosh. We are actually talking about how you break down a scene. Anything you want to add to that? It just took me back to when we were dating. How you broke down the scene. Oh, God. And I helped you with it. I was terrible at it. <laughs> Let's just be clear. Okay, so don't ask your girlfriend to do it for you. Don't ask your girlfriend to help you out. Okay, there it is. There it is. We're not going to be too you. much longer. Um, We're not. Um, so that that would be breaking down a scene. Okay, um, the next thing, the next question. This actually comes from Brian Pataka. Oh, okay. What do you wish actors understood? I assume that means like before they meet you or coming in to work with you. What's something you wish more people understood that they don't? Oh God. That's a, <laughs> it's a really good, qu- that's it's, a really- it's a wonderful question, but it's like, it's, it's open-ended. I'm going to drink tequila while you figure it out. Yeah. That's a tough one. What do I want them to understand? Um, God. I think actors, you know, if anything, I want everyone to know that uh, the only thing an actor should come in with is a desire to be really good at what they do, you know? And I think if anything, sometimes I watch people want uh, the answer, the fix. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing, I, I think we're, it's about, I want to help you understand your own process and understand the way you work. You know, I think the one, being around a long time and, you know, and being exposed to many different methodologies that 
you know, tools, uh, you just start, it, as you said, your buffet of tools, you just have to uh, become familiar with that buffet and make it feel like it's your own, you know, it's like your walk-in closet, you know, where you're familiar with everything and and you don't feel that you have to wear a particular, you know, use a particular tool or wear a particular outfit to go with that metaphor. Um, and what I want them to know is, uh, is be ready to be patient. And I think that's a hard, that's a hard thing because, you know, I think the more patient you are, that just means there's a belief in yourself. And when you don't have a belief in yourself, you're impatient. You know, because you need immediate rewards. Because if you don't have immediate rewards, it means it's somehow affirming a story that you shouldn't be doing this or that it's the wrong place or, you know, oh God, all's going to shit. Yeah. And patience, you know, I'm the most... I'm impatient in so many parts of my life. You know, like I won't wait in a line for Starbucks. I can't stand computers and, you know, that what's that little swirly thing? Oh, like it yeah. destroys my soul. But for some reason in this, I'm 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 enormously patient because I kind of I've always assumed I'll figure it out if I just show up all the time. It's the one thing I didn't have with writing. I like I wasn't able to do that. This was the one thing that fascinated me. And I think it fascinated me because it allowed me to be like, oh, once I can figure it out, I'll get to be present. I'll get to connect freely. Um, so I'd say, yeah, I, I, I think I've answered that question. I think that's a good one. God, I feel like I have so much on this one. I want actors to understand that a note is not a criticism. I want people, you know, here's a big one. My brother said this, and I thought this was wildly true. Ooh. He said that of everyone he knew who was acting when he was still acting, that the people who fought what the industry wanted them to be never worked. And the yeah. people who accepted what they wanted the industry to be, not as a personal attack, but as actually like, a, no, we have room for you right over here. Yeah. That that's the direction to lean into. And that if you don't want to be the nosy neighbor, you want to be the sexy ingenue. Well, if the world is seeing you as the nosy neighbor, say yes to it. And you will probably not have the career you want if you insist on being seen a certain way. So I think that's, I think that's a big one. That's a huge one. David Tooney, you know David Tooney? I do. I, I love him. He said that um, he heard a Chris Farley story that's yeah. kind of helped him lately, is that I guess Chris Farley was doing something and... Uh, he said to Brian Dennehy, who played his dad in a movie, uh, he said, you know, I just need to kind of, you know, I I need to expand, you know, I need to do, you know, also figure out how to do other stuff, you know, drama stuff. And Brian Dennehy said, why would you ever want to do that? (laughs) He goes, you're brilliant. Yep. Like, no one can do what you do. No one can. People Why would you do anything decades. else? Just keep giving us more of that. Yeah. And he's talking to Brian Dennehy, who's won like Tonys and done yeah. everything. He's who I think of when I think of Death of a Salesman. It's Brian Dennehy. It's standing, Brian Dennehy. Yeah, it's Brian right? Dennehy. But that really, that really, that really struck me. Okay. Um, so, uh, Mr. Patak, I hope we've answered your question. Yeah. Um, any tips to memorizing a crazy long script? 
like uh, long speeches. Yeah. Long, uh, well, one, if you're learning a whole script, uh, don't learn it. You don't have to learn it all at once. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, don't treat it like a play. Uh, I look. There's so many rules. I mean, there's so many variations on this answer. It depends on what you're working on. Uh, I think if you're learning really long speeches, uh, please hire someone to run stuff with you. Yeah, tell the Kurt Fuller story. Do you remember the Kurt Fuller? Oh, well, Kurt Fuller, uh, a, a lovely character actor who's worked forever, you know, he he said that, you know, he it takes him a long time to learn a scene, you know, even though he's been doing it for years and years. He kind of had to accept he had to that accept he wasn't that, that good at memorizing lines. Was t- yeah, he's terrible. Yeah. He'd have to run it with his wife for like five hours before he got it down. And, you know, his friends could learn it in 15 minutes. Today I coached uh, someone and they didn't, they come in, came in with a brief, like they had, they had briefly worked on it. And uh, by running it with me, they were off book within three and a half minutes. Were they under 25? No. Wow. They okay. were not. Because I do think there's something about the brain after They're, your mid-20s that is just not quite as good at it. He had a vague understanding and one time occasionally he's like, just tell me if I'm getting it wrong with the lines and occasionally I'd read him the right one and within three and a half minutes it was down. Wow. And it was like, it was very impressive but he works all the time so I, I get that, that it, but you can tell that's his way of working. Yeah. You know, just help me. I'm good. But I love that. He's not worried about the words at first. He's worried about the story and then he figures, I'll figure out the I'll let the coach tell me where I've changed the line. And what's great is he will change the intention once he knows what the new line is. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. He won't be stuck in what he was in because sometimes what he got wrong is actually he's missing something. So he'll incorporate what he was missing. Nice. Okay. I Does like that make that. sense? Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. Um, what? How, how do you advise someone? This is from Jackie. How do you, uh, how should people get through their artist funks? When you're just feeling uninspired, uncreative, hitting a wall. That's an amazing question. It's important. Um, one thing, don't freak out. I think the more you start to have perspective on your own funks, then uh, that helps. I think the problem is sometimes people catastrophize their funks. And I'm like, oh, this is bad. As You've done that, right? Oh, God, yes. I'm, I, yeah. I'm an expert at catastrophizing my funks, which I've had to become very good at not doing. But that... I still remember an early class I had with you in an early JRS black box theater when oh, we were at the complex. Yeah. And I threw a I threw a fit because I felt like stuck creatively and that was keeping me from booking jobs and I just I screamed about it. Oh my God, it's amazing you ever hired me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, still catastrophize my funk sometimes, but it's just, but I have so much more perspective on it. That, um, I think... If you're not prepared for your funks, your funks are going to get the best of you. So how do you? So it's really you need to start preparing for your funks. So how do you prepare by already building up a foundation of stuff that's exciting you? Yeah, I think if you don't have a chest of stuff that you're working on, that's probably one of the things that's actually creating your funk. Yeah, it doesn't mean the funks won't still happen, but as long as you are, if you've already developed a discipline to be either, like you were saying, knitting writing yeah, your find script another creative outlet being in a really good you gotta already be working on those creative outlets the problem is when you wait to find a creative outlet when you're in until you're in a funk yes and then that becomes a dangerous association my create 
my creative outlets are only born out of my funks. And if they start to be, those become connected, then that just feels like your creativity is born out of desperation. Ooh, good. Good. I like that. Um, I would also add to not keep it a secret. Because when you keep anything a secret, shame starts getting associated with it. Will yeah. people know? Start telling people, like, my acting's not feeling great right now. It just is. And talk about what that feels like. And just not, you don't have to uh, indulge or pick at the scab either. I don't mean that. But it shouldn't be a secret from anybody. I love when actors tell me their acting's not feeling good. That's a real a moment of vulnerability and honesty. And it's allowed to not feel good. Can it not feel good one second and literally two minutes later be brilliant? God, I think um, a friend of mine just mentioned this is like if you ever have been very think about feeling um, feeling really angry about something you remember feeling angry do you remember the moment where you stopped no one ever does no one ever is like oh it just it just went away it just happened no it, there's a trust that eventually it will evaporate and I think it only comes though from from honoring it you have to I had a conversation today where I had to tell someone I'm I'm not happy, and then a cup like you know within half an hour within half an hour we talked it through and then all was good. Yeah. But it starts off with just I'm 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 being open to you about everything I'm experiencing right now, and I think especially that has to happen in your acting. Mm-hmm. I also think um, some good books for that are having uh, I have the War of Art and. Uh, Big Magic, both oh, God. Um, in a prominent spot on my bookshelf because I want to grab them whenever I have that funk. Mm-hmm. I also heard on a podcast, I think it was The Moment with Brian Koppelman, he has a guy on, I'm blanking on his name right now, I apologize. Um, but they talk about creativity and, and one of the things that comes up is a funk. And the advice there was whatever kind of crappy tape you have playing in your head all the time that you're listening to that makes you feel bad about your art or what you're creating... Put on a different fucking tape. Listen to a podcast. Listen to a book on tape. Listen to the same thing that has the point of view you'd like and listen to it again and again and again. Isn't it amazing what these podcasts are doing for people like you and me? I I I started one because I listen to them constantly. I, that is what I do. It's when when I when I when I'm not ready to work on a scene yet. When I am between clients, what do I do? I listen to a podcast that is in some way inspiring to me, and I take a walk every goddamn time. Books on tape don't do it for me, but hearing people converse and connect and talk about things that I truly care about, it's yeah, it gets you out of your own story. Yeah. Okay, so there's some good answers there, hopefully, for Jackie. Um, this is a fun one from Christine. This is very, like, uh, this is very businessy. Ooh. What do you tell an agent that you're meeting with, a prospective agent, about your previous representation? Because, for God's sakes, clearly it wasn't working, or else you wouldn't be looking for a new agent. But when they ask you, what happened with your last reps? What should you tell them? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I... You know, just be really good at what you do. I think if you're really good at what you do, already the old agent who wasn't getting you out will be cast as someone who didn't know what they were doing. You know, I think when you start to worry about... Look, sometimes there might be a narrative. Like, I had one person that hadn't been going out, but they had gone through... They had to move away because their mom was ill mm. and there were so many different things. I was like, you can give them that narrative, you know? I mean, sometimes there is a very specific narrative, you know? Um, but for the most part, 
um, I think if you're doing great work and this new representation actually has access to witnessing your work, they're just going to think that the old agent uh, lost a really good opportunity to make some money. I've always thought that people should just try to make yourself look like a big bag of money sitting on the ground. Yeah, and an agent will pick that up really quickly. And, and I think an actor, if you want to look like a big bag of money, you're somebody who knows what their casting is, like where yeah. they fit in the industry, and they can crush it nine times out of ten. You know, the challenging thing is that when you have someone who goes from agent to agent to agent, and the reason that they do that is because they are... Um, not doing good work in the rooms. And if you're going to keep on selling people on a false narrative, then eventually the new agent's going to find out anyway. I almost feel like, you know, one of my favorite things from the show Mad Men was the Don Draper philosophy of turn the problem into the solution. Yeah. I find that's often the way through almost anything. So what I'd say is, Oh God! Oh, Turn the problem into the solution. That sounds like Donald Trump. Oh God! Oh, thank Jesus Christ! Well, I like it more than I like anything about Donald. <laughs> well, here's what I mean by it: is just say, clearly that person couldn't get me out enough. Clearly, like there were. That's I, a good one. I that like couldn't that. happen. And why? Maybe I wasn't inspiring them enough. So before you sign me, I want to make sure that you've seen recent work from me and that you're fucking inspired and ready to submit me. So I love here's that. three auditions. Here's three auditions I stand behind. Give me another one. Give me another one and give me 24-hour turnaround because that's what you're going to want when it comes time to submit these auditions. And you tell me if you're inspired. And if you like it, then we're in business. And if not, then you're probably like the last agent I had. But I, I think a lot of times we've got to be afraid. People are afraid to put their money where their mouth is. And it's like when you're having these conversations with audit so many times people are like man what creative drop off do I need to get an agent to notice me have them notice your fucking work well this is the one thing about the on tape phenomenon which has helped you a lot mm-hmm. because you keep on doing these tapes and then your reps have to watch it and go fuck he's really fucking good you know so it's either going to serve you or not serve you depending on what they're saying but it's a great way to be held accountable for what you're doing if you're wondering about an agent the best advice I have for anybody right now is find three auditions oh god yeah put them on tape and then show them to a bunch of people that's it and if those people don't lean forward and say holy shit how do you not have an agent then it's not that you're bad but you might not be ready yet and if you can make three auditions make a whole bunch of people go fuck then my guess is you'll get an agent. I love the Meryl Streep story. I don't know if it's true or not, but that when she came out to Los Angeles, she didn't try to get an agent. She got a publicist. Really? I don't know if it's true. I've heard it a bunch of times. I want to believe. You know what? I'm going to believe I'm going to believe true. it. I believe if it, if I was Meryl Streep, I'd be like, fuck, I don't need someone to take my money yet. I want somebody to see the work and decide it's time. Uh, that's the Philip Seymour Hoffman story too, is I will just do stage work until somebody decides they want to sign me. I mean, that's it. You know, the one thing about the Christmas class, which I think is so interesting, is when you watch actors put on a scene because they want to experience that scene. They want to do the scene versus the person who shows you a scene that they really like. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between <laughs> the two. Massive difference. And when you see the person who just wants to, like, hey, here's a highlight of the scene I really like. Yeah. That's not interesting. No. A scene that wants to experience the scene that they love, that's felt by everyone. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what's your, you know, the Philip Seymour Hoffman's. They're like, let me just do my work. Let me just do it. 
and and you can feel that person because they're not thinking about I'm trying to get the agent. They're just saying I want to work a lot. All of this is to say they're not, not, not thinking about anything beyond the scene. Uh, yeah, they're actually fully giving into the scene and trusting that. You know, one thing that's become very clear to me. I can't remember if I've told you this recently, but I want to hear. When people want to get good at something, I think about marathons. I've never run a marathon, so I'm going to be fully honest about this. But here's my understanding about how you train for a marathon. You don't run a fucking marathon. You don't just run 24 and 0.7 miles or whatever the hell it is. You hire a bunch, you hire a team. You talk to your nutritionist. You change the way you eat. You have somebody who helps you plan your routes. You start running. You build up over time. But the one thing you don't do is just run a marathon. That's actually the one thing you never do until the day of the marathon. And so often we think, well, I got to get an agent, so let me reach out to an agent. I know. But I think the best way to get an agent is actually stop fucking caring about the agent and just crush for six months straight. And tell me you don't have an agent at the end of that. Brian, you're almost making me want to cry. Yes. <laughs> I keep on saying, guys, if you're going to do brilliant work, do brilliant work every week for like you're just saying six months yeah and if you're doing brilliant work every week for six months someone is going to make sure you have a job yeah it just happens yeah right like put it this like even think about it this way let's say you're in a class with people who are lovely they're just a little like not like maybe on the less experienced side sure. eventually if you're doing great work okay you can't be in that class because you're going to need to be put in a class full of you know a lot yeah. more experienced work people i think this would serve you better right yeah. that just comes to the nature of just like i think this will make sure that you know people are you're people are keeping up with you Yes. Right? And then all of a sudden you get, and I promise you, if you're in a class with those people, those people I will also probably have access. Yeah, more there'll be referrals. There'll be people who actually have a good enough relationship with their agent to say, you need to pay attention to John. He's amazing in my class. He keeps crushing it. Somehow he's not represented. Get it while no one has him. I got a manager years ago who called me because he goes, I'm sick of hearing about you. ha. <laughs> And I thought I took that as a really nice compliment. It's a beautiful compliment. Um, Mark F wants to know what inspired you to teach acting. I think we covered it. I, I um, you know, I I mean, I taught when I was young, when I was in grad school, but then, um, I, when I got asked to start, you know, assisting and teaching, um. I just I, I I loved being able to uh, I loved how present I had to be, and also I just love people. I love connecting with people. I love helping people get out of their own way. You know, I think um, coming from I was I was raised in a therapy family, and I think um, I I always have been a voyeur, and I've always been um, someone who actually enjoys um, uh, one watching. I think some people don't actually like sitting on a couch and watching other people. Yeah. I think they're like, I want to be up there. No, I really loved my couch time. Yeah. Just same when I was in grad school. I loved watching other actors. I loved offering help. I love watching other help. I mean, yeah, offering help. Um, and then, uh, you know, initially I just did it for free a lot. Yeah. And then uh, all of a sudden, when you told me that I could actually be paid for something that I would have done for free, 
That's really nice. That's how I started. I came yeah. to you and I said, I love these group rehearsals. They're they're really exciting to me, but no one else says anything and they keep asking me what I think. Yeah, because you're really smart and you had good in, good intuition and good instincts. I still remember you saying, I think I might need a TA. This might be good. And I said, does that pay? And you said, not for a little bit. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. Well, it's a good thing but, I like doing it anyway. But that's a big thing. You know, there is a reason, I will say, that we don't pay uh, people who may want to do it. Because I find that if you're not willing to put in the hours and watch, it means you don't really want to do it. Yeah, You're just doing it for the pay. You've experienced this. Oh, God, yes. And you've had a couple of people not work out. Yeah. You know, who we did pay. Yeah. It still didn't work out, but they didn't deal with the, the, the sitting in. And I... You've got to love it so much that you want to sit there. And remember, we don't, we, when we say sit in, don't speak. Like, yeah. just watch and learn. I mean, you can speak. We're not saying be. Yeah, you, but it's not going to be teed up for you all the time. Most of it's going to be watching. No, but, you know, we're going to, I want you to immerse yourself and find out whether this is even something you like to do. Because in order to be a good teacher, you've got to love being there. Got to love listening. You got to love listening. Got to love listening to them. And you're such a great listener. He says, uh, he says to me as I'm turning to my computer to look for the next question, <laughs> yeah, which yep. makes me feel horribly exposed. Um, okay, so we're going to wrap up. We only have okay. a couple more. Okay. Um, is there a certain it factor needed to succeed or is it all grit and hustle? I want to pair that question with something you've told me before is what is the look? Because I feel like those things go together. Yeah, I think there, I mean, I think the it, factors we can sense a person that's ready you know if you're lucky to get the job you it won't last long or you know i mean look there i think there's a difference between fortune and luck obviously we're fortunate for everything that happens yeah. but lucky just means it's an accident you're lucky if you win the lottery right uh you're fortunate if you're the one who tested and you fit the role you fit their the world they're creating sure um but the look it's something i talked to adam ray about it's it's you know you can just see it in someone's eyes that they're just they're not doubting they're not questioning they're they're not looking to you was is this it yeah was this good enough was this the thing no they're not needing uh validation from me or the room like they like what they're doing they like Look, you don't even have to like who you are, but even if you, even if you're self-hating, you like being self-hating. Yep. You know there is an enjoyment that you're that you're bringing in. Uh, I just think it's um, truly being in that moment with all of yourself, and and I just think that there is something. Um, that you can smell on someone who feels that they've earned being in this room, you know? And I think I struggled with that. And I remember when I actually finally got that feeling, it was just a much different way that people receive you. The second you walk in, you know, the room relaxes a little bit. I feel like it's almost switching what you expect of the people on the other side of the table. Because I remember for a long time, 
I still wanted someone just to tell me I did a good job. I yeah. wanted, like I saw them as authority figures who would tell me whether I had succeeded or not. And now I realize that like they're all terrified they're never going to find the person who makes this thing fucking work. And this thing is not just a creative project. It's a multi-million dollar corporation that needs to succeed or their jobs will be uh, continued or not based on that. And so your job is to go in there with enough certainty, not in your choices, because those you need to be able to collaborate, but in yourself and in what you bring to the table, that you make them feel safe in making the show. Yeah. But look, there's always exceptions, but it still follows the same rule. Uh, you know, there's some actors who are just like, I get so weird, I get so nervous, but it's so adorable or enjoyable to watch them in their neuroses. Yep. And they still feel entitled to exhibit Yes, those personality traits Fully. Mm-hmm. And that's still a sibling of that sense of entitlement. Because they feel entitled to show all of their weirdness. All of it. All you the know, without hiding it or pulling their punches or somehow trying to, you know, um, obfuscate it with some other thing. You know, going back for one second, the what do we wish people understood? There's one thing I actually really, I don't know that every actor is capable of this right off the bat, but I actually really wish they did. Why, why did you get into this initially? Because I think if you understand what brought you into it, yeah. there, look, I really do believe at this point that everybody loves it. I know that I love it, but I also had to learn that there was a time where that was the place that I felt like I actually was good at something. And I had to embrace that like, oh, I was wanting people to tell me, you're good at this, or you're good at something. You fit right. somewhere. And the second I realized that, I stopped having to scratch that itch so fucking hard. But until I knew that, Every, even in every scene, it was just tell me I'm good. I will do everything possible to pretzel myself into whatever will get the approval I want from you. And until I was able to scratch that out, I couldn't act for anything but that approval. And so I think it's important to know on some level, like what drew you to this? And is it purely the love of storytelling? Is it purely the things that are going to help you book a job? And I don't mean that in terms of like, talent are you doing it right i mean that you are someone who can do a job show up and help a a tv show or a film fulfill what it's supposed to be and if you haven't figured out what other reasons might have brought you to a profession that is all about getting applause and telling you you are someone who you aren't and living out fantasies if you haven't figured out what initially brought you there the odds are you are trying to do two things at once you're trying to book a job but you're also trying to deal with some psychological weed you haven't pulled yet and like those are there's nothing wrong with that but I think if you don't know it you don't realize the battle you're fighting amen <laughs> I I think you know one of the things that drew me to acting was uh, I was not good you know I no I, I, I was not good when I uh, uh, in high school I got parts I was never good in college I got leads because I was like the one like what do we call that the I I was the lead, the one of one of the very few leading men yeah in my class and I got lots of leads good auditioning then bad at the role and then I remember finally being really good in something in my senior year and being really good just means I was there and it was so I felt honest. It felt true. I felt true. Do you remember what that role was? Antonio in Twelfth Night. Hmm. What was it that you felt like you found in that role? 
so many different things. I kept on being a leading man, leading man in these things where I was the romantic interest. And, and that made me already bring my own things about relationships. And then I was playing a gay sailor. I'm neither. <laughs> but being intimate with another man on stage, I found I was able to be more honest and truthful because it, I, I wasn't bringing in any of my stuff with women and you know because you're young you're 20 years old and you bring all this like you know what devices do I need to use in order to be attractive and this was like no I'm I'm, 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 I'm just you and me man and uh, and I wasn't carrying the show so I didn't feel like there was enormous pressure on me yeah and that's when I applied to grad school I was like whatever I just did there I want more of that. I love that. Like that's, that's, that was something else. I was so honest and to be honest on stage, I knew there was something really, um, I felt like I got to be more honest on stage than I, I got to be in life. I still remember doing Antigone my junior year of high school. Oh God. And I desperately wanted to play Creon because he's the lead and I had not gotten a chance. I'd never been the lead in anything yet. I was the kid who also like had an agent and had been on Nash Bridges. And so I was like, how, how am I the actor kid, but I'm not the lead of the show. And I didn't get it. And I complained to the director that I didn't get it. And he's like, no, I think this is your part. And he has this speech. The whole, the, the role is uh, he's the King's son and his girlfriend is Antigone. And she's decided to bury her dead brother, even though he was on the other side of the civil war. And so she's going to be killed. So, uh, you can do pronounce it a couple different ways, but the way we pronounce it is Heyman goes to speak to his dad and he begs him for something different. And I still remember that in this translation, the line was, please be different this once. And I remember finding something that was everything I wanted from my dad in that moment. Uh, uh. And no one knew that. And I didn't even know what was coming from him yet. I just knew, I knew that I didn't always feel heard. And I, it wasn't that I let the line rip, but I let it rip from a place of like, of honestly, please be different. And I remember it happened in like our dress rehearsal and the room changed and there are all the chorus people sitting there. And I felt like they all knew what I was talking about. And that was it. That was the moment that I went from someone who like, oh, I sometimes do this as a child actor and right. this is so neat and I'll, I'll maybe be on all that or something like that to shoot this into my veins for the rest of my life. But I think you, God, I love that. I think you and I, you know, why did we get into this? I think when you come from our backgrounds, and there's so many times we had to pull your punches or not be honest and not that we didn't try. But this career, you know, being a true teacher or actor, people can smell a lack of authenticity or truth. They can just feel it on you. Yep. And I think, you know, as teachers, our job is to guide you to, at least for me, is to guide you to your truth. Even if the truth is you don't want to act. Yeah. That's fine. But let's, it leads to, a, in my mind, it leads to a happier existence when you find out what you really like doing. Yeah. You know, dude, if you like the, maybe you love improv. Maybe you want to be a psychotherapist. I just, to, to watch someone own their truth 
it's just obviously selfishly i mean that's just that thrills the fuck out of me and the same way that to bring an actor to find the truth in a scene, yeah. to watch an actor find the truth in any genre, just to find it authentically, there's magic in that moment where it's not put on, it's not bullshit, it's not fake, there's not this artifice on part of it. And that thing you're telling about that moment in that play, it's like, yeah, there is magic in that moment of... Because the thing about truth is it never gets boring. No. It never gets boring. You just like, I, I'll, I'll keep on fucking watching it. I will watch that again and again and again. And it's why there are certain movies that I can watch over and over and over when there's an authentic performance. Because you're not, it, it, it's not like watching Sixth Sense. Sorry, nothing against Sixth Sense. But like the magic is in the construction. Yeah. But a true emotional event. Yeah. You're just like, let me... I just I've been I can't stop watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, just to bear witness to that. Just to bear it's, witness. It's cathartic to experience it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that is a beautiful place to end on. John, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I can't wait till the next time. This was really really fun. I'll do it every week. Every week. Well, we'll see about that. I love you, Brian. Norris. Love you, John Rosenfeld. Until next time. And that is a wrap on my interview with John and on Industry Town for 2019. Thank you to John for the time, wisdom, and tequila. And thank you to you, the listeners. I've had such a blast starting the show, and I cannot wait to see what 2020 brings to Industry Town. Speaking of, we have new episodes coming up the first week of the new year, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, if you're digging the show, please share it with a friend and get in touch on social media or email. I can't tell you how much it means to me interacting with you online and seeing the numbers for the show keep growing. So thank you. Also, thank you to sponsors John Rosenfeld Studios and Horrible Haikus. And with that, I bid you a safe and happy new year.